0: You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
1: The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it's sure it is not going to be decided on Fox News. Party.
2: Good afternoon, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. It is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WZZA in Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, from the Spice Radio studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley, Huntsville, Alabama. Alabama. Tonight, we are talking big updates on the Bessemer Amazon campaign. We are talking about union elections and the PRO Act, education, vaccine mandates, and unions with former co-host, current friend of the show, and president of the Machinist Local 44, David Story, and... How the labor movement ought to relate to the Democratic Party with Hamilton Nolan, a labor reporter from In These Times magazine. All this and more on today's program. But first, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up the show on WZZA or if you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, you can find us all over the place online. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, All at the Valley Labor Report. All of our uh, broadcasts are streamed and archived on YouTube and uploaded later as a podcast. So you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on YouTube, again, all at the valley labor report uh you can also support the show by being a monthly donor on patreon.com slash the valley labor report we have stickers we have bumper stickers you can find those at our website uh the valley labor report.org i mean we're just all over the place all over the place so uh make sure make sure that you find us there uh adam uh glad to have you you are out of pocket last week glad to have you back
3: yeah glad to be here
2: oh yeah yep happy 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 you're back love being able to talk to adam he's got some good stuff for us later in the program but first let's talk about the update in the bessemer alabama amazon campaign we had big news i think it was yesterday or or maybe the day before i guess it was yesterday because yesterday was a monday uh the nlrb has the National Labor Relations Board has agreed with the recommendation of the regional officer to throw out the results of the last election in Bessemer because of egregious interference and a blatant disregard for the election process that made laboratory conditions necessary for a fair election impossible uh, so Amazon workers in Bessemer will get another election this has been, What has been expected for months now uh, because of the absolutely blatant disregard for the law that the boss had at Bessemer, uh, at Amazon in Bessemer. So this is what people have been expecting, but it is uh, it is it's now final. The decision has been made. Workers will get another chance at a fair and free election. Uh, The date. And method has not been determined yet. Uh, Last time, the union was pushing for mail-in ballots, and I believe that uh, they are going to be okay with in-person voting this time, as long as it's, you know, at a fair location. The date has not been determined yet, but in the NLRB's announcement, uh, they said that it is probably going to be in the spring. So... Be on the lookout for that. And, of course, you know, uh, the boss's propaganda outlets have already pounced on the announcement, saying that the campaign was an out-of-state effort because politicians outside Alabama supported the workers while politicians in our state sat on their asses. The writer who said that was invited to come on the show. (laughs) And, of course, uh, we heard what you might call radio silence from him because attacking the campaign as an out-of-state effort uh, is absolutely nonsensical if you have read anything other than Amazon press releases. The campaign started with Alabama workers at Amazon coming to an Alabama union the retail, wholesale, and department store union's Mid-South Council that represents some 10,000 workers in the South, including Alabama butchers, Alabama warehouse workers, and Alabama poultry workers, among others. Uh, They also now represent brake pad manufacturers as a result of a successful election uh, here, here in Alabama some time ago. Uh, And uh, the lead organizer was an Alabama youth pastor, and most of the organizers involved were workers at RWDSU, Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union, work sites in Alabama. This was an Alabama campaign led by Alabama workers that went up against the most powerful corporation in the world and scared them so badly that they spent tens of millions of dollars the best estimate that i've been able to find puts it at something near 30 million dollars that was spent by amazon to try to uh uh to try to railroad the workers and try to uh rob them of their opportunity for a free and fair election uh, and not only did they spend millions of dollars and hire outside parties, you know, they try to make this sound like an out-of-state effort, but who did Amazon hire? Amazon hired an out-of-state law firm that specializes in union busting and, and paid them millions of dollars to do that. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend who uh, worked for one of the only union-side law firms in the state of Alabama for some time and he said that it was amazing just how much amazon's lawyers did in this case uh like and and he and he said he he read some of their briefs that some of the things that they submit i forget what he calls them but some of the things that they submitted to the court and he was like I can't imagine how much these lawyers' fees would be. This is insane, uh, and and you know I told him that money's cheap when you're the richest man in the world. Uh, so not only did they spend all that money, but they broke the law. These Alabama workers scared Amazon so bad that they were not willing to interfere with the election in ways that are legal, which is many. I mean, the ways and we'll get into this later in the show, but the ways that you can interfere in an election and still be above board as far as the law is concerned is frankly horrific. The things that go on in a union election by the boss are things that we would never in a million years accept in an election for public office. But we accept it in union elections. Why? Because, you know. That's the boss's domain. So they, they uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's really insane. Um, so,
3: Jacob, before you move on, I wanted to just point out that, you know, one of the most common criticisms of unions is that it's going to drive up costs for the company. Yeah. But here we have the company <laughs> just blowing millions uh, to defeat this effort. And you can't convince me that somehow that was cost effective. And, uh, you know, I, I think you also nailed something, which is there's a cottage industry of union busting, uh, especially among law firms. And mm-hmm. lawyers, you know, they work by billable hours. So yeah. if, if they've got an opportunity to rack up those hours, of course, they're going to take it.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just did some quick back of the envelope math here. Uh, Thirty million dollars divided by 6,000 employees, which is uh, the latest estimate on how many people were working there at the time of the election, would be $5,000 per employee. Instead of, you know, I mean, instead of doing that, they could have written a huge check to these workers, Um, you know, bought them all a nice car, but uh, they wanted to spend all that money so that they could continue to exploit them and continue to bargain with them individually the reason that that is such a bet uh, such a good deal for the boss is that when you bargain individually you have much less power than when you bargain collectively and that's obvious when you think about okay if t- all you know 12 of the people at the small business that i work for let's say if all 12 of us go and bargain together we have a lot more power than if all 12 of us go individually and if we go individually we can be whipsawed against one another be pitted against each other instead of all working together to bring everyone up instead of clawing over the bodies of our brothers and sisters uh so like i said amazon pulled lots of dirty tricks some of them legal and some of them not. And the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades has a great video that is going to show you uh, that shows you some of the things that workers at Amazon had to go through. Uh, So, Adam, if you could play that for us.
3: All right. Give me just a sec here.
4: Imagine this, you're an American worker and you decide you want to exercise your right to collectively bargain in your workplace. That it's in your best interest to come together with coworkers to take on issues impacting everyone, like pay, benefits, and more. Rather than struggling alone, you approach some co-workers to see if they're interested in taking on some of the same workplace issues together. You assume that with a simple majority vote, 50 plus one, you could choose workplace representatives the same way you vote in an election. But if you are a worker in the US, this is where it all goes wrong. More than half of American workers are threatened with job loss if they vote for workplace representation, and one in five are fired. Then, 90% of American workers who seek to collectively bargain are forced to sit through mandatory meetings to be told by your employer about why workplace, democracy, and collective bargaining is bad. On average, employers hold nine captive audience meetings during the election campaign. At the same time, you'll be bombarded with communications from firms outside your workplace who never reveal themselves, yet were hired to do nothing but convince you the improvements you seek are wrong. Even if you make it past all of this and the workplace election is successful, your employer can refuse to recognize the results of the election or refuse to negotiate. This happens in more than half of all successful workplace elections. Workplace elections happen nearly every day in the United States. But sadly, due to our fundamentally broken labor laws, workplace elections are deeply undemocratic, and the deck is stacked against workers in every single one of them. We need to defend the rights of Americans to collectively bargain fairly, and must ensure the fight for voting rights is extended to the elections that happen in workplaces every single day. We can do this by fixing our labor laws and ensuring the passage of the PRO Act this year. It is our right to have our voices heard and to vote both inside and outside the workplace, and we must fight again to to ensure these rights are recognized
2: all right that video was courtesy of our brothers and sisters in the international union of painters and allied trades uh folks you should follow them on twitter they are constantly putting out really good videos like that uh the twitter is at go i u p a t at go i u pat uh they have got some really good videos uh, honestly they have the best uh and most consistent like short Informative videos on social media uh, that that you're going to be able to find. They're really really good, and you know the passage of the PRO Act is such an important part to it is such an important thing to be able to even the playing field uh, between workers and bosses in this country. Because like I said, there are so many things that are legal for bosses to do that is not going to and, and and then. Not only is there all sorts of things that are legal, like they talked about the captive audience meetings. That's legal. Your boss can make you, at threat of termination, sit through however many hours of propaganda and threats and innuendos that they want with no retaliation. That is totally legal. And if we... I mean, just think about that in any other election. Think about if Democrats or Republicans, had the authority to round up any and all voters that they wanted and make them, at threat of job loss, sit through a presentation about how good they are and how bad the other people are. That's just totally, totally goes against Democratic values. Does not make sense. And yet, it's legal. And then, where things are not legal... There's no penalties. The there are literally no fines associated with breaking provisions of the NLRA. The 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 penalty for the uh, uh, for Amazon in this in breaking the law as fragrantly as as they did is just having another election. That's it. There's no fines. There's no other penalty. They just have to have another election. And like I said, money is cheap when you're the richest man on earth, but uh, money and time is not cheap when you're an organization of normal, everyday working people and you have to go through this again instead of just having had a fair and free election from the beginning. I mean, it's just, it, it, it it's, the laws are totally stacked against workers in this country and we've got to do something about that. Uh, so, before we go on to our next topic, I do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, we've got uh, – the sponsors are starting to trickle in. We've got, of course, the people – we have uh, about 40 people every month who donate to us on Patreon and help keep us, uh, keep us going. We really appreciate y'all's support. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers – is a sponsor of the show we appreciate uh their support and they're helping us stay on the air as well as the iron workers local 477 out of sheffield alabama y'all will know our brothers and sisters out there eddie mitchell and jeb miles good friends of the show we talked to otis Berryhill last week about apprenticeships good guy um and if you want to be a sponsor of the show then holler at us. Uh, you can you can email us. Uh, you can find us on social media. Uh, yeah, you, you just you know. Yeah, there are way, you know it, it, google the valley labor report and you'll find ways to get in touch with us uh, you can sponsor the show help us stay on the air and if you're an individual and you just want to support the show you can find us on patreon.com slash the valley labor report if you're a member of a union or an organization or a business that wants to advertise or sponsor the show reach out to us and we'll we'll uh, we'll get you taken care of okay so uh emmett jamar uh unfortunately passed away I believe it was last week, right Adam?
3: Yeah, November 18th.
2: He passed away November 18th. And Adam, I'll just I, I'm just going to give the floor to you uh because you you knew him uh much better than I did. But uh you were talking to me about him before the show and um I, I was really inspired. I I hate that I had not been able to meet him in uh while he was alive.
3: Yeah, I, I really appreciate you know, just having a couple of minutes here to to speak on Emmett Jamar. Those of you who are listening uh, locally on WZZA, I'm sure the the name definitely rings a bell. You're probably well aware of of his legacy and his accomplishments. So Emmett Jamar really was one of those titans of the Alabama labor movement and the civil rights movement, for that matter. Um, you know, when you look at his list of accomplishments, it was vast. It, it, spanned not just through labor but through education uh business racial justice so i wanted to just share a few of the things that he accomplished and and i think it's important you know and here's the old history teacher and me coming out but i think it's important that we do recognize those who came before us and who built the foundation that we're resting on and, and that we can kind of carry that torch so a few things i wanted to mention about Emmett Jamar. uh In Colbert County, you probably remember that he was a longtime county commissioner for 28 years. He was the first African-American elected to the Colbert County Commission. He also was the first African-American teacher to integrate uh, Coffee High School. And, you know, despite growing up in in the Jim Crow era, he was able to get uh, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, you know, a brilliant, brilliant man who could teach science, uh, you know, chemistry, physics, biology, but, you know, quickly became a, a leader in the civil rights and labor movements here in Alabama, and he went on to work for the Alabama Education Association. Uh, he started off with the ASTA, which is the Alabama State Teachers Association. Much like our schools and, and the rest of our society in Alabama— Even our unions and and professional organizations were segregated. So what we saw throughout the the NEA, the National Education Association in the 60s, was the efforts to merge the white and black teacher organizations. Uh, And and Emmett Jamar was instrumental in that here in Alabama. Uh, It was 1969 when the Black Teachers Organization, ASTA, uh, merged with the AEA. At the time, AEA was dominated, you know, not just by whites, but by superintendents and administrators especially. Uh, so Emmett was, was a major player there in, in integrating these two organizations, and it's one of the success stories in Alabama. Uh, if you look at what was happening in our state in 1969, it's, it's pretty amazing that folks like Emmett and Dr. Joe Reed and, and Paul Hubbard and those other leaders of the time were able to merge these two organizations. Of course, it wasn't easy, but honestly, uh, extremely successful, uh, especially compared to other southern states. And, and that legacy continues. And that's why, you know, AEA has a, a much stronger membership than some of our neighboring states here in the south uh, in terms of the NEA affiliates. So, you know, a couple of things that, that Emmett did through that role Uh, Not only was he a fierce advocate for teachers, but also the support staff. Uh, My own mother-in-law was a support staff uh, member in his district and and worked closely with him for decades Uh, and certainly has shared many, many stories with me and and my family about just what a brilliant man, what a fierce advocate he was. He was someone that you could count on to fight for the little guy. Uh, That's really what he dedicated his life to. And he, he stood up not just for those members that he was you know, employed to represent, but he stood up for his colleagues. And, and I think that's very important. You know, in in this show, we have discussed a little bit about staff unions. And a lot of people on the outside may not realize that, you know, unions have employees and those employees tend to be unionized themselves because naturally you should practice what you preach. But as with any workplace, that really boils down to power and whether or not you can hold employers accountable to practice what they preach. So Image Jamar was instrumental in establishing the Alabama Professional Staff Organization. That is the employees of AEA. That's their union. And not only did he help establish this union, uh, he actually led the strike of these, member, or these employees of AEA. Uh, back during the 70s, this was like the height of... Dr. Hubbard, Dr. Reed, you know, those two guys were were major, major players in Alabama politics, especially at that time. And Emmett was just fearless and and was able to lead his colleagues who worked for AEA on a strike. It was the first strike of uh, NEA employees in the South. And, And I think that really speaks to his courage, the fact that you would not only go up against superintendents and politicians, that you're paid to you know to do battle with, but that he would do it with his own boss, uh, who was so powerful at the time. So I think that is is a lasting legacy. And Emmett is well known among the National Staff Organization, the union that represents uh, employees of NEA and NEA affiliates. He, he's named the Godfather. Uh, he helped establish a place and, a, you know, a caucus for black employees of these unions. Uh, he served at the national level, uh, you know, executive board, you name it. He was there uh, as a union leader for his colleagues, uh, in addition to his day job of representing the educators of North, uh, northwest Alabama, Colbert County, Lauderdale County, Limestone County, all those many school districts uh, contained in that region uh emmett actually worked for 43 years with aea uh so you can imagine uh what he saw uh and what he dealt with um in addition to that he was a leader in the naacp uh a leader in you know democratic party politics uh one of the longest serving county commissioners so you know both not just in labor but with racial justice with with Normal electoral politics, so to speak, the man was a legend. Uh, and I think he really paved the way for uh, more integration inside of our schools, but also inside of the organizations that represent school employees. And I uh, also just wanted to, you know, send my best to the Jamar family. His daughter, Lakiska, actually uh, succeeded him in that AEA Uniserve Director District 1 position. Uh, which is kind of cool that he, she was able to step up and, and, you know, take over that role. And Lakiska is also a great advocate. Uh, she's definitely, you know, making her father proud and upholding that legacy of fighting for rank and file educators. So I wanted to send my best to the Jamar family. And for those of you, you know, maybe haven't heard of him before, recommend you, you take a couple minutes, check it out. Uh, brush up on your history there because this was a man who dedicated his life to building a better Alabama and you know all of us can be thankful for him uh, for the good good work that he did throughout his life
2: yeah and you mentioned that his daughter succeeded him in um, in in a role and WZZA's own Tori Bailey succeeded him as county commissioner didn't isn't that what you said i
3: I believe so yeah and and tory spoke uh at the funeral this this weekend and and did a fantastic job and uh you know really helped all of us who were there to to better appreciate his accomplishments and in the way in which he mentored so many people um not just tory and lakiska but you know educators and and union organizers and and aspiring politicians people all over the state uh he he was a true educator at heart uh regardless of whatever job he held
2: right right yeah that that's uh i mean it's it's really amazing how many stories um are there that that go untold and that people don't really know about and um you know it, it's uh it like you said it, it's worth looking into folks like him um you know in our local communities that that do the work that that goes oftentimes uh you know unrecognized
3: absolutely thank and thank you for for giving me just a couple of minutes to do that because especially those of you who are in northwest alabama um you know you have a lot to be proud of
2: uh so you are listening to WZZA. We are almost at the bottom of the hour. Uh, my name is Jacob Morrison. I am here with my co-host, Adam Keller. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report on WZZA here in Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and online on YouTube. Uh, our next topic, we are going to be talking to a friend of the show, uh Now he's a friend of the show, but everybody knows him. His name is uh, David Story. David, welcome back, brother. It's good to talk to you.
1: Good morning.
2: Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. So, yeah, like I said, everybody knows David. He was a host of the show for the first year that we were on the air, a little more than a year. He is currently...
3: No, th- no this time. back that up. This a co-founder, co-founder. Okay, you know this. Co- makes sure, yes, make Mr. sure, Mr. David put- Story gets the credit he deserves.
2: That's right, that's right. Uh, and he was and is the president of the Machinist Union Local 44. They represent 350 workers at the United Launch Alliance in Decatur. They manufacture rockets, and that's why he's with us tonight because ULA has been. I mean, I I have my jaw has just dropped um at the the stories that you've told me David they've been simply malevolent malevolent in dealing with y'all about this vaccine mandate stuff and and you know look the vaccine mandate is there's there are some people among whom this is this is a touchy subject okay so we'll get to the touchiness maybe here in a bit but starting from the beginning as a first principle in any frankly in any um in any workplace, this ought to be the case. But in a union workplace, with a union contract, this is a bedrock of good faith, you know, cooperation between labor and management. And that is that any change in the working environment has to go through negotiation. And, David, my understanding is that y'all went through negotiation with the employer, and you had made an agreement that there were certain exceptions to the mandate that would be that would be given. And as some of which I don't think anybody would would disagree with. But before we before we go there, I guess really quickly, what can you lay out the process of what that looks like when an employer, especially when it's like a government mandated change, uh, when they want to make a change in the workplace, what is the process for those negotiations? And why is it important that everybody get that, even if it's a policy that we like? Even if, let's say, you, listener, support vaccine mandates, you should still support bargaining over the conditions of the mandate. David, can you can you walk us through what happens there, some of the mechanics?
1: I mean, yeah, they... You know they just reach out to us and tell us that there's a uh, policy that they would like to institute and generally you know an official letter to bargain can be sent or we can just make a request and say well we're going to bargain over that you know and uh yeah and, i mean it's it can be anything you know it can be we're going to ban uh hats in the in the workplace we don't want anybody wearing hats anymore uh you know could be a a number of things but you know in this case it was the vaccine mandate and and you know just so we're clear you know we're following the vaccine mandate our our bargaining uh was part of the vaccine mandate it wasn't that we're trying to skirt the vaccine mandate because the mandate includes a portion for those that have religious Deeply held religious or significant medical reasons for being exempt, right? Uh, and and so you know that it follows the federal mandate perfectly. What we negotiated and what we agreed to, they're just refusing to uh, follow up to what they put their signature on.
2: Right, and they the, so y'all negotiated that and agreed to it. And w- w- we should make mention that for the people for whom exceptions were agreed to be made even though they're now not following what they agreed to the exceptions that were agreed to um people that didn't get the vaccine would have had to undergo weekly testing is that right
1: weekly testing masks they'll still have to wear masks i mean you know uh, yeah yeah. so what more I don't know what how much more you know we we we've been working as a central Department of Defense workers for the last two years in this facility without a vaccine mm-hmm. uh, there is in, in the entire two years there's not been one case that has been contracted at this facility because we worked together from the get-go to ensure the safety of all their employees and now you know I, it, it's a scam
2: right. Well, so, and the, the scam is that they're saying that they're doing this presumably for the safety of the employees, but, but the, what's actually happening is that there are a total of 13 out of, like I said, 350 machinists. There are a total of 13, so we're talking about, what is that, 3%? 3% of the workforce, 97% of the workforce then is vaccinated. And we're talking about three percent of the people who had exceptions that they requested and all of the exemptions were denied. Is that, that is that right?
1: Yeah, well there's there's still a few on uh, medical that are in the facility that are still they're being tested and they're 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 following the process, but there's no they're still under review. So they're still providing a lot of information.
2: Have have there been any pe? Peop- have there been any people that have been terminated yet?
1: Not uh, yet. Uh, uh, we've negotiated that they'll keep their health insurance while they're on administrative leave till we solve these grievances. Uh, and you know, luckily they've moved mm. up to that so far. But that's liable to change at any minute as well, because you know we had a signed document saying that they would accept the exemptions and right? they've refused to do that so
2: and these are and these this is unpaid administrative leave
1: unpaid administrative leave mm. yeah. So, yeah so they're basically just being hung out to try through thanksgiving and christmas you know and, and it, it, it's like i told you whenever i talked to you you know i'm not anti fax. you know mm. me i was uh because I was in the defense industry, I was able to get my vaccine before most people my age were, and I was the first one to get it. i mean, just as quickly as I could, right? Uh, you know, but the problem is, like the the guy I was telling you about that's got leukemia, that's been on chemo mm-hmm. for the last four months. His doctors told him, "Don't get it. Don't
2: get right.
1: it." Another guy that I work with side by side has a blood disorder that he's almost died from. Mm -hmm. the doctors had to fill out 12 pages of information and submit it so we have went through all these hoops that they've asked for us to go through and i said i screw you you know
2: right and i I mean that's the and and you mentioned i believe that the fellow who had leukemia has had covid i mean like
1: there, he also brought in a serology report showing that his antibody load is higher than the average antibody load of somebody that's had the vaccine.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's like, it's like just, just total vindictiveness at this point because there's there's no reason to actually try to go through with this. For one, the actual mandate is not enforceable at this time because of the courts. So they can't they can't say that, you know, Oh, the government's making me do this. This is totally their prerogative. And in fact, the state government has passed a vaccine mandate ban, for which there was supposed to be guidance last week from the Alabama Department of Labor. I uh, I, I was able to speak to the labor secretary of Alabama last week when I was down in Birmingham, and and he said that guidance was supposed to be out last week. And I, I meant to check before the show, and I and I forgot. So maybe David, that's something that 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 you can. He said that it was supposed to come out Friday, so maybe maybe that'll be homework for both of us. But so what is the, like, what is the recourse then? Like, what is the union's plan to address these issues? I mean, this is a person that we're, like, we're talking about a guy who's got leukemia, who his doctor is telling him he he should, you know... He's got reason not to get the vaccine. We're talking about a guy with cancer. We're talking about a guy with a blood disorder. You know, like there are there there has never been anybody that has said one hundred percent of the people need to get vaccinated. That's just never that's never been uh, an argument. It's always been that everybody who can get vaccinated ought to, in part to protect the people that can't get vaccinated, not so that we can throw them out on the street and kill them. I mean, it's uh, like, so I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, it's so frustrating. And the CEO of ULA is a big conservative donor. Like, wh- you know, he funds Yellow Hammer News. You see his ads and their press releases all the time on Yellow Hammer and, uh, and on these talk radio places. Uh, and, and, of course, None of them are, are uh, you know, <laughs> they're not even really talking about that. Despite the fact that this is, you know, the 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 workers have been out there protesting, and and you know, this has been this has been an issue. So, what is the union's plan to make sure that these workers are able to keep their jobs?
1: I mean, we're just going to keep progressing through the uh, arbitration process. You know, we've we're we, you know, unfortunately, the companies refused on. Owned- several instances to give us information requests when we've done information requests uh, they've it's it's just been a constant fight it's been a constant fight so we're you know they're dragging their feet as long as they can Uh, and you know unfortunately uh, most of the listeners to the show know arbitration process is absolute crap Uh, it takes forever but our hands are tied and that's mm-hmm. the only way for us to fight it. I know that some employees on their own that went out and filed suit. Uh, I've heard that, that that's kind of iffy. But, uh, right. you know, as far as the union goes, we'll fight it to the bitter end. And uh, but it's probably going to be at best uh, February, March, mm-hmm. before we can get in to see an arbitrator of the holidays. Right,
2: right. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I mean, that's not, it's just, it's so frustrating. And I can't, I mean, there's really no, like, it just doesn't make sense. They've been hiring cops because of the protests to stand guard, like, for for 24 hours a day, I think you said. So it's not money because the tests cost much less than the money. And like you said, it's not safety because y'all worked for two years without a vaccine um and the people who don't have vaccines are going to be required and they are required to do these testing and and social distancing and masking uh protocol and they're only like three percent of the workforce i mean it's just
1: there's well just to be clear let me clarify because that's kind of misleading there are three percent of the represented workforce now my understanding was i don't want you know i don't want i don't ever want to come on a show and mislead or for people to feel like they got the wrong information on the show uh my understanding was and i'm not privy to this information because we're not represented employees but we're we're roughly outnumbered six to one you know represented versus salary Mm. folks at this facility so my understanding and a lot of the a lot of the uh engineering staff have been recent hires from college uh because of the because of the way that the company treated the engine, the engineering staff that were here. So right. my understanding is there's quite a large number of younger, you know, less than 10 year out of college engineers that had asked for exceptions and they've lumped that number in whenever they've talked to the media. But, you know, as you know, and as I know, I don't really care about at-will employees. They're not on our contract uh what's what what they do a salary is that's up to them they -hmm. don't have a contract and they don't have negotiate collectively
2: exactly they're at will employees what happens to them is totally the prerogative of the boss
1: irrelevant
2: it's it it's irrelevant to to what they i mean they they've got no right despite you know right to work being the law that everybody says to like they've got no right to work you have a right to work, David, but they do not have a right to work. Um, so they, they can... I don't mean to put the, you know, if they want to join... They should join. I've got cards.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, come see me. I've talked to them numerous occasions over the past several years, I and mean, we've come close to getting them organized. Not yet. Maybe. Hey, mm-hmm. if you're listening, i got cards. Right. Come see me. Right.
2: Yeah, but, uh, but because they don't have a contract, because they have no just cause provision in their contract saying that they've got i mean they're like they're at will employees they can be fired for any reason or no reason at all so
3: uh, and that's something i wanted to to emphasize real quick because you know as dire as this situation is that you're describing david the flip side to it is these handful of employees these members that you were assisting they have you they have the union's backing they have language in this contract that is being violated But is there nonetheless, uh, as opposed to these these other folks you're mentioning who have no recourse. Uh, And so, you know, as is kind of outgunned as you are on this fight, there is a fight to be had. And and I think that speaks to that broader issue that we we speak on time time again is, you know, having a union is better than not having a union. Right. Just bottom line. And I think this is a good example where even with the union, the employer is acting egregiously. But you still have a, you know, a puncher's chance in in this fight. And and I do think that's just so disturbing that, you know, the the company would agree to this language. They would agree in a legally binding contract that they will honor exemptions. And here you have, you know, these two cases are. Yeah. These are not people who are just playing games because they're anti-vax. You know, and I get that there are people like that in workplaces across the country. But obviously this is not the case. So uh, you know, I appreciate what you're doing to support those members. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. All
1: right. Thank- I don't mean to sound so despondent or you know, depressed over it, but it's it's frustrating. You know, yeah. because this is the holidays, and anybody that's right, so these folks are family members. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got kids. Yeah. They got you know.
2: No, I mean, no. You've got a right to be frustrated. It's frustrating. It's it's BS. I I, I almost said the I. Uh, it, i almost said something worse but it's i mean i, I f- putting a person who's got leukemia on unpaid administrative leave who has had covid it's like
3: who evil. is following doctor's orders
2: i i like how do how do they go to sleep at night i i don't know
1: but uh um, how much if we got like a minute left i would like to give an example sure the they hire these doctors my my job requires me to have a physical every year have eye exam every year have have a hearing exam every year about five years ago i had to go in for my physical the the nurse the ula nurse had put the paperwork in the door for the doctor to come in he gives me the physical fills everything out so as i sit in there waiting in the room I went out there and grabbed my file out of the uh, door just to see what was in it. Lo and behold, ULA had went through and had already filled out all the answers that the question, the, the questions that the doctor was supposed to ask me. They had already went through and given all the proper answers for my physical, so the doctor just had to sign his name. Mm. So this is the kind of people that you're dealing with. They just buy off doctors. Right. You know. In other words, my physical meant nothing. They had already right. done all the paperwork for it
4: right
2: yeah these are not people that that care about their the health of their workers that's for sure no david thanks for your time we really appreciate it uh uh, if you want to see more about what they're doing, you can follow him on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. Uh, you can follow the Machinist Union Local 44 on Twitter and Facebook uh, to keep up with their fight. And we'll be updating you as the fight goes on. Uh, so our next and final guest of the program, we're going to be talking to Hamilton Nolan, a labor reporter for In These Times Magazine. He is, uh, uh, he's fantastic. You've really got to follow him on Twitter. Uh, you should follow and subscribe to In These Times Magazine. In These Times gives, uh, free print subscriptions to union members, um, but if you're a union member, you can probably afford to, to actually pay for it and you should because it's good and these people do good work. And <clears throat> he had a really good piece last month about um organizing in Mississippi that, that I would encourage everybody to read. Uh but but today in These Times released a uh just you know kind of a quick op ed from Hamilton and so I wanted to bring him on to talk about that. So Hamilton, uh thanks for uh joining and, and uh taking the time to talk to us tonight. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me, man
2: absolutely so the title of of your piece is which side are you democrats on and i think that that really uh you know that really lays out kind of where you're going to be going with this piece and the 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 gist of it is right that uh democrats aren't doing <laughs> they're not doing enough and so as the la- as a labor movement we should really be more skeptical of the Democrats as an institution. We should or, or, or at least be more skeptical about the prospect of allying ourselves in a formal way with them. I mean, one of the things that, that, that really that frustrates me during election time is when we see our unions putting out all this stuff about how... Joe Biden is going to be the, you know, the best president ever. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be a union president. And I mean, I guess to be fair, he's the most, like you said, he's the most pro-union president that we've had since FDR. But that's like speaking to the problem rather than a compliment of Biden. And, you know, when unions say things like that, I think it takes away from our credibility because our members, I am not stupid like you know i know i know that they're they're politicians and they're they're not that great but our unions are acting like they are and 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 so what was the what was the catalyst for this article uh like what made you want to to, to lay out the argument that that i kind of recited there
0: yeah i mean obviously this is a perpetual issue um for the labor movement you know and um uh uh, you know, the the overarching, the bigger issue, as you say, is like, we always have to keep in mind that our power comes from ourselves. I mean, the power of the labor movement comes from organizing workers. That is the source of power of the labor movement. The, the source of power of the labor movement is not and never has been through electoral politics, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's true that, um, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, and I think it for a long time in modern history, what you see is labor leaders leaning too much on electoral politics and not enough on organizing workers. And I mean, what really made me write this piece, even though it's a it's an issue that's that's been around forever, was, you know, a few things happening um, in quick succession, which was one was that uh, Barack Obama accepted a $100 million (laughs) donation from Jeff Bezos, the Barack Obama Foundation, I should say. Right. $100 million from Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos to build a plaza um, named for John Lewis, the recently deceased congressman. And it was just one of those things that, you know, I mean, do you think that Barack Obama is not aware of the Amazon union drive last year? He was aware of it. You know, do you think Barack Obama was not aware that Jeff Bezos is a union buster. He's aware of it. You know, he just doesn't care. It's just a demonstration of where the labor movement sits in in the hierarchy of respect of these politicians. You know, Um, another thing was was uh, with the ongoing uh, Starbucks union drive has been a a chance for everybody to remember the fact that Hillary Clinton was going to nominate Howard Schultz, um, the CEO (laughs) of Starbucks, as her labor secretary. Yeah. Um, Howard's Oof. last seen going to Buffalo to beg his workers not to unionize, you know, uh, beg
2: them not to unionize because they work in a concentration camp and that's why they shouldn't unionize.
0: Like, Yeah. There were some, there were some <laughs> Holocaust uh, analogies in there that, you know, but I mean, this, this was like the best that this was, this was the good scenario that, that right. we, the labor movement was going to get had the Democrat won in 2016. So, right. I mean, you know, and, and, and then, uh, you know, Marty Walsh was down in your neck of the woods in Birmingham and, Mm -hmm. uh, didn't stop by and see the mine workers and, and actually has not appeared on a, on a picket line, um, during the big, the big strike wave. And it's, uh, you know, so even here in this kind of This most pro-union administration that we've had in many decades, Um, we can't get the labor secretary out on a picket line. Um, It's a very low bar. And so uh, we always have to remind ourselves that, you know, while, of course, it makes sense that the labor movement is going to support Democratic politicians because they're not out to destroy unions and wipe us from the face of the earth, that's not where our power is ever going to come from.
2: Now, I will say, I believe that Marty Walsh went to a Kellogg's picket line in October was that or or was that not a picket
0: line I don't know good question I should check on that I know that the uh the agriculture secretary went to the John Deere picket line Okay um I think and I should uh, I I just check on Marty Walsh not to slander him
2: Yeah I just I just looked and I be- I believe um U.S. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh speaks with Kellogg's workers on strike in Lancaster. Um, so maybe he did or didn't go to the picket line. I don't know. But you're right that he didn't go to the Brookwood picket line, which did surprise me. I was there at both of the events that he was at in, in Birmingham. And um, uh, the first one was, you know, to promote the the infrastructure bill. And then the second one, there was, a, whew, there was, <laughs> oh, man, what is that? Uh. And then the second one... Jeez.
0: What? Hello?
2: Hmm. I'm here. What happened? I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Are we good? Are we back? Adam, do you know what that was?
3: I don't, but I can still hear Hamilton and you.
2: Okay. All right. Sorry about that. I don't know. There was, like, super loud ringing in my ear. Hopefully y'all didn't hear that. But, um... Uh... (laughs) <laughs> Startled me a little bit, but he did. That
3: was Jeff Bezos. That was Jeff Bezos. He uh, yeah. did not
2: like us the way that we sending, were talking about him. Sending
3: sending special brainwaves for your anti uh, Amazon rhetoric.
2: Yeah, and so he there there was like a luncheon at the RWDSU Union Hall that he spoke at, and um there 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 was some nice things that he did there. So he took like thirty minutes and talked to the the Amazon workers that happened to be there, and told him some stories about told them some stories about what the unions have done for him. Him and you know that was kind of a really cool thing. But the mine workers were told that uh, he was going to be in their mi- their neck of the woods, and and so they came and they spoke to him, and and you know basically I, I I wasn't privy to the conversation, but they did say that they they were able to speak to him, and they said that he said he was going to try to do something. But like like you said, the picket line was thirty minutes away. You know, I mean there was no reason that he couldn't have gone. To do to, to to show some support, and in your piece you mentioned that this is one of those strikes where, um, you know, one of those long and drawn out strikes where it's really difficult to. Um, to end in the favor of the workers without government support, especially when you look at actu- the, the actual financial calculations that are happening here, because it's owned by multiple you know trillion-dollar investment firms, and they have been willing to lose $400 million in revenue. If you look at where they're at now, $44 million in revenue, versus where they were two years ago, when the price of steel was a lot lower, mind you. They're four hundred dollars less than where they were two years ago, and they're willing to just sit on that because, um, because they the thing that they said was they are leveraging their working capital. You know, they're leveraging these other assets, and so like if you can leverage trillions of dollars of assets, losing four hundred million in one year, you. It's it's just an investment in the future and having a non union workforce in the future. And so we need this sort we need politicians who are fighting for us, but as you said, we don't have that in the Democrats and we need to recognize that we're not gonna get that by kneeling before them like we do we're going to get that by being strong independently and having them kneel before us basically
0: right (laughs) yeah we have to put our own power and i mean we have to think about where our expectations are as as you know working people and as a labor movement i mean we're we're talking about the most the most pro-union president in many many decades and you know we we this is what we get from that. I mean, our expectations are in the gutter, you know, and when you look at labor history um, in a lot of cases, as you said, these long drawn out strikes, these big industrial strikes, like a lot of times the way that the thing that puts workers over the top and allows them to win was when the government weighs in on the side of the workers. And when Mm -hmm. the government weighs in on the other side, in many cases, the workers lose. So, I mean, this right. is a clear cut, tailor made case, um, the mine workers strike for the Biden administration to step in and demonstrate, you know, right. that that uh, commitment to organized labor that gets talked about a lot, but um, that the the actual tangible results are pretty low at this point.
2: Right. That That's exactly right. And, you know, I think what you're talking about is having our priorities in order and there there was an old saying i think that i even spoke about this last week that that i heard and i can't remember the exact wording but it was something about like you can lose what you get at the bargaining table at the ballot box it's something like that and like that's the order that you've got to think about it you know i mean that's that uh, you have to win at the bargaining table before you can really affect change in the ballot box and that's what we've seen throughout history um, you know and, and 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 that's what I think we're gonna see going forward and and we need to we need like if Democrats want to prove us wrong then the, you know the stage is there for them to but they're not we
0: just need to organize you know we can't we can't ultimately have power for working people when we're only 10 percent of the country I mean the number right. one thing that you need to do is organize organize organize. And then the political power will flow from that, you know, not vice versa, not vice versa.
2: Right, right. Hamilton, I appreciate your time. Uh, you can where can people find you online?
0: Uh, I am a labor reporter for In These Times. So that's in these You can read the magazine. You can subscribe for a very affordable price or uh, you can look me up on Twitter uh, at Hamilton Nolan
2: thanks again for your time hamilton i really appreciate it uh, hamilton is a really great labor reporter i really appreciate his work uh, i tried to read i try to read it as soon as it comes out um, and and so that's where we're going to leave y'all with organize and union leaders out there that are listening if you want to you should give your pack money to <laughs> media projects that are that are for workers like In These Times, like Strike Wave that our friends up in the Northeast do and even like The Valley Labor Report. That's going to be it for us here on WZZA in Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. If you missed part of the show, you can find it online on YouTube or anywhere you find your podcast. We are on Twitter and Facebook at The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller and we will see you next week
0: the valley labor report with adam keller and jacob morrison